You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hello and welcome to episode 31 of Cow Corner. Today is a BBL special. Um, me and Zach are here to run you through uh, what happened in that great tournament over in Australia. Um, if you didn't get to catch too much of it, there's a heck of a lot to talk about. So we'll give you, um, you know, a little quick sort of review of the whole tournament. Who did well, who did bad uh, and what happened over there. Uh, but before we get stuck into that, let's just sort of round up all the test crickets going on right now because there is a hell of a lot. Um, Zach, should we start with, we should just start with England while we're here. Um, it's Sunday afternoon here in the UK, uh, close of play day three. Wow. I, I can't, I'm, I'm buzzing slightly, Zach. How about you? I, I didn't expect England to be in this position and six wickets today. Couldn't have so much more really. No, I didn't expect England to be in this position. It's really funny. Every night when I've gone to bed, I've kind of thought, oh, cause I've been planning, I've been getting up for like the the uh, like second session at about 7am and I've been thinking, Oh, what, you know, what I'd love at this point, like tomorrow. And like for after the first day, I was like another hundred runs and no wickets. I wake up, we've hit another hundred <laughs> runs and no wickets today. I was like, mm, you know, we've hit another 20 runs and we've got two early wickets woke up. We'd got that. And then obviously watched a little bit today and it was, you know, it was brilliant. <laughs> we, we took some great wickets, you know, Don best, bowled better than I think he ever had in Sri Lanka um, it was really fun and, and then we got a bit of Rishad Pant which was you know it was really fun but not as fun as it was against Australia it was a little bit like oh wait a second this, <laughs> well this I was thinking that fun. but I saw a great tweet saying I think it was from Ben Jones who said like because the amount of runs England got on the board it doesn't matter too much what Rishad Pant's doing so it's the perfect balance for England fans who love Rishad Pant and I was the same mate I woke up this morning 78 for four. I was like, whoa, what's going on? Then I fell back asleep and panic kicked off before I got to watch it. But, you know, England are in a great spot. I think they can't they can't lose it now, which is great. It's going to be fascinating to see how they manage the rest of the game because it's all on them pretty much. Ashwin and Sundar look in a great spot, both very good batsmen. So it depends how much time gets eaten out of the game, as, as whether they follow on, if they need to, or if they give the option. So um, fascinating cricket. Great for England fans. Um a couple of questions for India, which will obviously come on to in our, in our review pod in a couple of days. So that's exciting. Um, over in Pakistan, another great test match brewing here. Uh, literally just gone over to Stumps as I'm speaking. 
Um, South Africa, 127 for one, chasing 370. How interesting is that? So a day five setup there where South Africa need 243 run, uh, runs with nine wickets in hand. How about that? Uh, Marker and 59 not out. Van der Dusen, 48 not out. Oh, that'll be a good day tomorrow. How about that? Some great test cricket going on at the minute. Another great test match going on in Bangladesh. Um, some great test cricket going on at the minute. This one's kind of gone under the radar with, you know, India, England and the Pakistan, South Africa game. Um, but a historic day for test cricket, really. We've seen the fifth highest run chase in test history. And so many stories coming out of that because the West Indies have got sort of half a team out there at the minute. And on debut, Kyle Mayers, 210 not out in the fourth innings. Um, he came in at 59 for three uh, with the West Indies needing 395. Um, the only double cent, only the second double century in Asia in the fourth innings. The only double century in a fourth innings in a winning um, uh, effort. And just outrageous. Did you see any of this, Zach? I just kind of saw it develop on Twitter. And then I was like, oh my gosh, that's that's quite big news. Yeah, I, again, I, I didn't see much of it because I was watching the England game. But I saw it developing on Twitter and I was l- looking up to this guy and he's, he's only got three first-class hundreds. And this is his highest ever score. <laughs> and it was his, you know, he only played his first international game in November against New Zealand, his T20. He played his first ODI in this series. And obviously this is his first test cap. So what an introduction for him it kind of shows the the benefits of this you know this this weakened West Indies side they're getting to see some of the players that wouldn't have had a chance and you know some of them are really standing up right so that sums up all the test cricket Let, let's go on to the BBL Zach and I'm not sure how many how many of our listeners watch the BBL or have been able to keep up with it obviously it's Australia time difference might affect that but you know a fantastic tournament that's just wrapped up with Sydney Sixers winning it a great final um, what did you make of the tournament as a whole? Did you, you know, you, you watched quite a lot of it, you know, in the morning in the UK. What did you make of how it went? Obviously, there were fans there, which was great. And then let's briefly chat, because we have spoken about it before, uh, the new rules that they brought in, how they worked, what we liked and what we didn't like. Yeah, I thought it was a, re- I thought it was a really good tournament. It was a really good advert for the tournament. And also, it made me really jealous that there was fans there mm-hmm. really enjoying themselves. There was one game recently where there was a crowd catch and he kind of <laughs> shook off other people like they were close to each other and then he was he was interviewed on the commentary and just said he was you know he's just down with a few of his mates having some beers at the cricket and he was you know ended up on live tv and you know it feels i know it is basically a world away australia but it feels <laughs> it's never felt it's never felt further away from the reality in which we live here <laughs> you know sat in the sun you know, i'm here it's two degrees in Leeds today and it's a bit of sleet around, which is a bit grim. And, you know, we're, we're in lockdown. The only reason I can go out is if I want to do some exercise and they're out, you know, in the sun, having some beers, watching some really good cricket. And yeah, yeah, like you said, there were, we had these new rules and they're interesting. The most interesting part is that one of them has actually already been picked up by another tournament. The T10 used the, power surge the two overs that were kind of floating overs from the yeah you could use from the 10th over onwards they used it as a so i think you could it in the i'm not sure if this is exactly correct but in the t10 you get two overs of power play or but it used to be three but instead now you get the third over you can use from the third over down to the ninth over you can't use it in the last over mm-hmm. but you can use it in any of those other overs so it's interesting to see them already being picked up and i'm sure I think we will see more of this. I mean, I don't think they've said anything about the hundreds power play situation, which, you know, it's, it's a whole different argument. So, that. 
yeah, that'll be interesting. I, I don't know. They're not, they're not even doing overs properly in the hundreds. So <laughs> we'll, we'll cross that bridge when it comes to it. What did you think about the rules, Dan? Ah, I loved um, the bash boost. So the extra point, I, I thought that was awesome. That, that really kind of shook up the league table and made games that potentially weren't interesting or moments of the game that could have kind of just passed people by really interesting and i thought that was really clearly articulated by um the host broadcaster in australia and their graphics it was really clear and really easy not sure what it was like with people in the ground but you know that again that seems like a world away from being people in the ground so um that's not too much of a problem the x factor sub didn't didn't do anything for me it didn't you know when we previewed the bbl it didn't when we got halfway through and it still doesn't now so i'll be interested to see if that gets picked up anywhere but I, it's interesting to see that the the sort of movable power play has been picked up already by other tournaments. And I think I like that as well. That again, just adds, you know, games, parts of a T20 can sort of pass people by, you know, 13th, 14th over, suddenly they become interesting and it's great to see how different people used it. So yeah, I, I'm sure we'll see it again in the BBL next year. Um, you know, I don't see why not. It wasn't a disaster. And the X-Factor so much, I didn't quite get. I watched Mornay Morkel come on in the semi-final. I didn't really get that. Did you get that? He, I think throughout the BBL, he was X factored so many times, and they just changed the bowler. They just bowl either Xavier Bartlett, a young, you know, young seeming bowler who would get a bit of movement at first, and he would bowl one over at first, and then Mornay Morkel would come in. And Mornay Morkel obviously is a bit of a legend, and he was a local player for them because his wife's Australian, so that there was no issue with the <laughs> amount of overseas players, which you know I didn't know that it's Australian, so that's a little bit of a bonus. But he he wasn't like. You know, and he, he he's an X Factor player in the fact he's an international player who, you know, has been very good. But he didn't look, you know, he he didn't look anything special, and it wasn't used. I, I, the Heat were the team that used it the most, and it didn't seem to benefit them that much. I, I thought it was a weird rule, and I, I like I I do think it will be, it will be scrapped. But the other two, the other two, I can see I can see a future for, particularly like you said, the, the power surge because, because of the the. It changed the game. It cha- even in the final, Ricky Ponting was saying that oh, these two power surge overs—they're gonna—they're gonna change the game. Like they're—they're they're the most important overs in the in the game, and it's either the Sixers gonna win it from there, which spoilers they did, or the Scorchers could win it or could get themselves, you know, from I think they needed it was something like 13s and over. But if they hit 30 in the power surge, then it's suddenly they only need 11s off the last five. But it ended up that they, you know, hit. I think 11 runs and lost two wickets in the power surge. So they, you know, it, it, it ended the game for them. Well, that was it. The, the power surge kind of offered more for the bowlers in the end, but mm. it gives the carrot to the batsman to go. Like there is the opportunity for 30 runs and two overs, but most of the time it's probably a couple wickets, but it's fascinating to see how that goes. Um, I do look forward to seeing that in the BBA in the future and hopefully in a couple of these franchise tournaments. Right, let's get into the, the tournament as a whole then and the playoffs. Let's start with the three teams that didn't qualify. So 6th, 7th and 8th, Hobart Hurricanes, Melbourne Stars, Melbourne Renegades. Um, quite a shock, really. The Renegades, not so much. But to see neither Melbourne side through to the playoffs was extremely rare. Well, so rare that it's never happened before. Um, and the Hurricanes got themselves, they were in sort of pole position for it. And um, the strikers got in on net run rate. So let's talk about these three, Zach. What, what went wrong? I mean... We could see it for hours, like what, what went wrong for Melbourne, Renegades. They, they were just terrible, weren't they? And we spoke in our other pod about how many spinners they had and a, a, a rational amount of spinners. It didn't really work for them. Um, what went wrong for them? 
Well, I mean, it's easier to say to, to list off what went right for the Melbourne Renegades because <laughs> not not much, <laughs> frankly. Much. You know, if I say what went right, it's Peter Hatsoglu, who's you know, I think he came from Melbourne grade cricket out of nowhere and took 17 wickets with this strange action and these fast leg breaks. He was bowling, you know, he was bowling as fast as some of the medium paces at times. And, you know, he looked really dangerous in the start and he seemed like one of those players who, I know offence to him, kind of comes out the woodwork for this one tournament and is unbelievable and then gets a bit found out. We'll, we'll see how he develops in the future. He's only 22 after all. But what went wrong for them? I think, you know, all of these spinners as their overseas players, so they had... Imad Wazim, Nor Ahmed, the 15-year-old or 16-year-old now, Mohamed Nabi, who obviously does offer a bit with the bat, and Imran Tahir. Imran Tahir, I don't think, played one game, the 40-year-old. He, he then went off He's to the... That's an, ex- that's an expensive uh, omission there, surely. Mm-hmm. Nor Ahmed played six games, took two wickets. Imad Wazim didn't do much either. He does offer a little bit with the bat as well. But again, four spinners is your overseas player, and you've got this guy, Hatsoglu, who is your main spinner. I know they wouldn't have known that before the tournament as he was just coming in, but... It seems like a really silly decision to bring in that many spinners. And we mentioned it in the midway pod as well. Aaron Finch, 179 runs for him. Not good enough, frankly, from your star man. And and Kane Richardson, again, I predicted this side to finish, you know, maybe sneak a playoff spot because they had Aaron Finch, who's historically so good, and Kane Richardson leading leading the attack. But 15 wickets doesn't sound too bad across the tournament. But when it's, you know, when it's your main man, you they need to be getting 20 or more, really. Well, that was it. And that's why it was such a disappointment for them, because I think people really thought this side should have been in the playoffs with that roster. And if we look at their their four wins and their 14 games, two came in, in matches 12 and 14 for them, beating Hobart and beating the Stars, kind of actually really affecting um, who would end up being in the top five. So they kind of had a part to play in the tournament as time went on. Um, but that period in the middle of the season where they didn't win for seven games, they lost seven in a row before beating the Strikers in game nine. Um, that was the end of their tournament, really, wasn't it? And they were the only team to get stranded. Everyone else was in this for 13 out of the 14 games, at least, if not all 14. Um, let's look at the other Melbourne team that finished seventh, Melbourne Stars. Um, they won five, lost eight, had a no result. So that had them on 24 points with seven of the bonus points. So... They did a good job after 10 overs, that's telling me. Um, you know, they were there or thereabouts in most of these games. But then they went and lost their last three games um, against the Renegades, the Scorchers and the Sixers. You know, not an easy run in by any means, but this Melbourne Stars team is pretty cursed, isn't it? Uh, they've never won the Big Bash. They have this unbelievable roster, great Australian players. And they can't get it over the line. And to not even get in the playoffs this year was pretty criminal from them. Yeah, criminal is, you know, is the least of it really is. It is properly terrible for them not to have got to. The, they finished top last season in the in the ladder and then lost in the final to the Sixers, were absolutely demolished by them in a rain affected game. But yeah, and it's worse because last season they lost their international stars to some ODIs, and I originally thought they were going to do that this year, but it's, but they they haven't ended up because the New Zealand tour ODI and T Twenty tour was later than first thought. So that has that's happening, you know, within the next couple of weeks. So they didn't lose Stoinis, they didn't lose Maxwell, they didn't lose Zampa, which really affected the season last year. They had no excuse. The big difference is so Stoinis scored 700 runs last season, which is 200 more than any other player. Jeez. He's, he scored 400, 396 this year, which isn't bad, 
But when no one else stepped up their level, those 300 less runs, they make a big difference. Like Maxwell hit pretty much 376, pretty much the same runs he got last year. It's a pretty good return for him. The Spice Man was disappointing, hit 206 runs, but what that was an 89 not out, which was a fantastic innings, and the rest was was really poor. Yeah, Zampa top of the wicket takers, 19, it's okay. Stanlake, who's supposedly the leader of their bowling attack, 13 with an economy of 8.3. It's not great. And the big the big thing for me is is Harris Ralph was such a breakout star for them last year and took 20 wickets in, in and he only played 10 games. This year, he wasn't originally meant to be playing and obviously then was playing for Pakistan, so only came in for a little bit of the tournament. And he played three games and took one wicket. So it wasn't, you know, the return they were expecting. And I think they just haven't, they just didn't use their, we'll come on to the Sixers and how brilliant, how well they did with their international players and other teams. But the Stars didn't use theirs well. They had Paul Rand for six games and he was good. 169 strike rate in, in his 127 runs. But they didn't have a replacement and no one else stepped up when he left. Spice Man played a lot of games and just wasn't very good. And then Harris Ralph didn't do much. Like, it's just poor. Yeah, it's not a total disaster for them because they still got good players and they just didn't quite, you know, then they were maybe 80% of what they needed to get mm. um, into the playoffs. I feel like if they got into the playoffs, they'd have had a real chance. Um, you know, in knockout format, I like the look of this team. Zampa was still very reliable, which is good. Um, he did take five or 17, which kind of boosted those, that wicket stat against a pretty average strikers lineup. Um, but he's still good and they had all these good players and I'd have backed them if they got to the playoffs. It was just that that run at the end that kind of killed them, uh, losing three games in a row. Win one of them with the bash boost, you, you'd have got in. Simple as that. Um, so yeah, unfortunate for them and Sydney, the Melbourne team in the playoffs was, was pretty shocking. Um, let's just finish off quickly with Hobart. They looked like they they were fine. They were doing just okay. Um, probably would sneak in fourth or fifth and then they were the ones to lose out really. Um Exact same points as the Adelaide Strikers. So one seven, lost seven with seven uh, bonus points. Uh, they lost out on net run rate by 0.2. So fine margins, really. Um, losing to the Renegades in game 14, that, that was it for them, there wasn't it? Renegades gone, stranded, beat them and you threw. And then they didn't. Um, I'd like to know how David Milan got on from an England perspective. He did sort of, yeah. Is not a great, um, it's probably a better word than air, but also quite slow in a couple of his innings, what he's sort of been criticised for before. Um, did you see much of, of, of him, Zach? Yeah, it was, you know, he wasn't great. His, and his strike rate, he kept getting stuck on that kind of, you know, in, Eng- in England colours, he's been criticised for getting to 20 from about 20 balls or from about 15 balls. But then he pushes on and he kept getting stuck at that score and it just wasn't great. And it's, it's disappointing for him because obviously we need, well, as England, we need that not to happen in the T20 World Cup. Mm-hmm. Frankly, that that needs to not happen. And if that's, you know, that needs to not be something that becomes an issue. I don't know, maybe he's one of those players like Chris Jordan who just under Owen Morgan is a different level to when he's under anyone else. And I hope that is the case for him, but I, I do worry for him. Other than that, they look, yeah, like you said, they were really disappointing. The halfway stage, they were they were third. Milan had just been finding his way into the tournament after a period of quarantine. Everyone was like, lots of players were scoring runs. For example, McDermott was on 277 for them. He only ended up hitting another 130 in the last seven games. Uh, Tim David was on 191 from seven games. Only ended up hitting yeah. 80. 
really poor. Same story for the bowlers. They both had Ellis and Meredith on 12 at the halfway point. Meredith only ended up hit, getting another four. Uh, Ellis got another eight, but Meredith's meant to be their really, you know, their really big, fast bowler who leads their attack. And, you know, like the Stars, their big, fast bowler just didn't step up. I think this is really down to the fact that the the competition moved around the country. So they started their first few games. They were in, Can- they were in sorry, they weren't in Canberra. They were in Hobart or other grounds in Tasmania. And then there was half the teams were in Canberra, half the teams were in Tasmania. And they were in Ca- they were in Tasmania playing all their games at home in conditions that I'm sure lots of them are familiar with and conditions that would be, you know, very different to Perth or to Brisbane. But and they, and they went away and they just didn't step up. They didn't manage to use the momentum they gained from those early games, which will come on to the Scorchers. The Scorchers did the, com- well, not the complete opposite, but they u- they used the momentum from their few games at home to really drive them on in the tournament. Yeah, it's a great point you make about the moving around. Kind of forgot they started at their home ground for most of it. So that was obviously going to be an advantage. And then if we look at the fine margins of getting into that top five, the Heat finished also with seven wins, seven losses, but had eight bonus points, so 29. Strikers, seven wins, seven losses, seven bonus points in their net run rate. So it really was a couple of things and and Hobart would have got into the playoffs and then who knows in knockout cricket. So not a terrible season for them, just that pretty criminal loss to the Renegades at the end. If they win that game and they lost by 11 runs and all they had to do was win that game. And I say all they had to do, Melbourne is still a decent team, but where they were, they should have, they should have secured that. Right. So the top five, then let's start with the eliminators. That was fourth versus fifth. I've already mentioned the various records of these two teams. Heat versus the Strikers. Uh, Heat beat the Strikers by six wickets pretty comfortably. What do you make of the Strikers campaign, Zach? I thought I thought they had a better squad than what they did. Like they, they couldn't get any momentum going. Seven wins, seven losses is incredibly inconsistent. Um, and then losing their, their final game against the Thunder and the Heat there uh, in the regular season of the playoffs. I feel like this team should have been eight and six, eight and five, like the Thunder and the Scorchers, and they just they just weren't. Why do you reckon that was? I think you've hit the nail on the head there. Inconsistent. I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't think much of them. You know, I didn't think they were going to be title contenders, but they looked like a decent side. But they just throughout the tournament never managed to get, you know, string that run of wins together that just propels you up the table. And. Yeah, you look at it, Rashi Khan was a huge loss for them towards the end of the tournament. He took 16 wickets in his 10 games, an economy of 6.87, which is just, you know, you can't fill that void. And they, they didn't manage to fill that void, yeah. which is fair enough. You can't do that. but And that's a big loss. They, Carey was decent, 425 runs, but he hit a ton. And other than that, I, I don't think he was, you know, that good, a bit inconsistent. Phil Salt would be disappointed you know he was really good last season and he he didn't actually hit that many less runs this season hit 50 less but a strike rate of 130 compared to last season's strike rate of 164 Mm. a strike rate of 164 at the top of the innings hitting 360 runs is really really good hitting slightly less runs at a hell of a lot worse strike rate isn't great yeah the other english player they had was danny briggs who just seemed to get x-factored out the whole time yeah he was he was the first x-factor of the season wasn't he and then he kind of got he he copped it for the rest of the season um yeah phil salt kind of summed up the strikers for me like got going and then didn't and then oh yeah looks great again and then didn't which is a shame i want to see him do well but like you said it wasn't a disastrous season for him 
And yeah, losing Rashid can't hurt, but he's Mr. Consistent, isn't he? I can't believe how good he is all the time in every conditions in all those franchises he plays for. You know, good for him. He's great to watch. And, you know, Sussex by the Gold Coast, so they did all right. They're, they're now my team, I think. I think I, you know, I flip-flopped between the Hurricanes and the Strikers, and they both did average. So you can't say I'm glory hunting here. Just trying to find my place, you know. Um, so the qualifier was the Sixers versus the Scorchers. And I'm not going to come on to them yet because that's a repeat of the final. Um, so let's go on to the knockout, which was the winner of that Heat Strikers game versus the team that finished third, which was Sydney Thunder. Um, a bit of an upset hit uh, here with a Heat win in by seven wickets. P- pretty, you know, convincing again. Let's have a chat about the Thunder season. I mean, for me... I watched a little bit of the BBL, you know, I was keeping up with it as much as I could, but Alex Hales was obviously standing out as their as their best player, opening the batting, um, 100 in there as well, just looking really good, Zach. And, you know, do we have that conversation now? We kind of have to. Come on, we're a cricket podcast. Um, back in the England side, he's got to be, or at least spoken about, right? I, I don't care what their relationship is. Fix it and get him in. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to see him back in the England side. And I know we're going to come on to another player who, you know, maybe we'd like to see back in the England side. You know, I think the biggest loser out of all of this could end up being Jason Roy, who had an an indifferent tournament and has been in indifferent form. You know, that's, that's putting it quite nicely since, well, pretty much since the end of the Cricket World Cup last year, since he, you know, he had a go at opening the batting in test cricket and that didn't go so well. But yeah, Alex Hales was really good. Again, he, you know, in this, in these Australian conditions that, you know, potentially suit him, he's Mr. Consistent. If he's not going to play in the, in the T20 World Cup this year for England and India, well, I think that will certainly depend on his IPL form. Obviously, we mentioned before, best case scenario, he goes to KKR, him and Owen Morgan win the IPL for KKR. (laughs) Well, that's my question is, and James Vince as well, do you reckon either of them are going to get picked up for the IPL? And I feel like if either of them has a a significant tournament, you know, come April, England almost can't have to select them because they've then done good 2020 batting in India against the best set of bowlers in the world, pretty much, that goes to the IPL. So that's kind of, that shuts the argument down there. Do you think either of them are going to get a contract? I think... The unassuming nature of James Vince and the fact he just goes under the radar all the time is probably going to mean he doesn't get a contract. And I feel, yeah. you know, I think he's arguably the easiest cricketer in the world to feel sorry for because he just seems mm. like he's so unlucky. Yeah. Every time he gets out, he gets out, you know, doing one of those expansive drives that he can do so well. And that was, you know, that that was his test career, wasn't it? <laughs> and and he's, yeah, you know, I so I think Vince won't. I think Hales will. But will Hales do well? Maybe not. And if he doesn't do well, then he won't. I don't necessarily think he'll get into the England side. But if he then then next year does well again in the Big yeah. Bash, and then after that we've got our T20 World Cup in Australia, three say because he got 500 of runs this season. He got 500 of runs last season. If he gets 500 of runs next season, and then there's a T20 World Cup in in Australia, no other English batsman has hit will have hit. 1,500 runs in three years. And I'm not even counting how many more he's hit in the past before that yeah. in Australian conditions, like in T20s with, you know, like it's not like he's hitting them at a hundred strike rate and, you know, making his team lose. He's going at it and hitting the ball, you know, further than anyone else is in the big bash. Like, 
he has to be you know, the question has to be asked and i know the question is being asked but it's such a difficult one but i know it's completely different but when Joffre Archer came into the England squad, there was lots of, oh, he's going to upset the balance. You know, David Willey was really openly against it because obviously, you know, it worked against him, poor David Willey. <laughs> but, you know, it was kind of like, oh, yeah, he's going to upset the balance of the side. Oh, we've been going, we've been planning for this tournament for four years. Uh, and I worry that the same things are going to be said about Alex Hales. And I, like the situation is different. He did, you know, betray the trust and, you know, was involved in, you know, a few different incidents of you know, misbehaviour, let's say. <laughs> very, uh, very liberal of you there, Zach. <laughs> but the thing um, is, right, that, that England are digging their heels in so much with him that I feel like he's going to have to do exactly what you said to even get a sniff, let alone be in yeah. the team, right? They're digging their heels in so hard. And I feel slightly bad for Ed Smith that every time he has a knock, there's microphones in front of him and he's sort of batting all these questions off. So yeah, it's it's a tricky one, and I hope he gets an IPL contract. I hope it's for KKR, and I hope he does well. Quite frankly. Well, one question: If England win the T Twenty World Cup in India, obviously, this is, say say he doesn't do amazingly in the IPL, because I I think if he doesn't do amazingly in the IPL, he's not no there. chance. Yeah, no, no chance. chance. Even if he has the hundred and the 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 blast to you know to end all of those top, like you know he ends top score in both. Yeah, I still don't think he's getting in. Yeah, because because I don't think they're going to pick anyone who hasn't played any T20I cricket for England before that tournament. No, that would be chaotic. Gonna, no, that, that would, that would that. be mental, wouldn't it? But so I, I, my thinking is, say he wins. Sorry, say England win the the T20 World Cup, and then Morgan maybe retires as England captain. I, I don't necessarily think he will. No, but he, that's feasible. That's not out of this world. We're, we're, you know, we're double world champions in the in both World Cups. He's won them I'd both. I'd call it a day. You know, Sir Owen Morgan, you know, the Irishman we've all come to love. I mean, we already love him, but, you know, he then leaves as an absolute legend. He already will leave as a legend, but he leaves as high as he could possibly be. Yeah. Fair enough for him. I know he might, you know, then want to go win it in Australia. Then he retires as captain. Who comes in as vice captains? The next question. Butler seems to be the kind See, of... But, Butler's the one in waiting for the T20 side, at least. Yeah. So Butler comes in as captain. Does Butler then bring him back? Because it, it seems... I don't, like, I, don't, I don't know if they get on or not. Have they shared a bit? You know, um, I, don't, I don't see them as, you know... Butler's quite a soft-spoken, quite calm-mannered man. I don't feel like Alex Hales is. I've never met him. So I'm, talking out of, I'm talking out of my uh, rear end. But I don't know. I don't know. I love that thought, though. What if Ed Smith leaves for whatever reason? I don't, I don't know. But he's going to have to do a lot. He did a lot this tournament. We've digressed slightly from the BBL here. Anyone else in the Thunder you want to mention before we move on to the Heat? Uh, yes, yes. I want to talk about Tanvir Sanger. Yes. He, it was his first Big Bash season. He was born in 2001. I think he's one to really keep an eye on for the future for, for Australia right, massively. He was, the, he was the Australian's leading wicket-taker at the Under-19 World Cup in 2020. And it, it was a like the spinners dominated that tournament, so it wasn't surprising that Australia's premier spinner was their leading wicket-taker. He's never played a first-class game, which is interesting. I mean, he is young, and there are only... There, are, there aren't as many teams. Are there's only you know six or something teams yeah. in Australia, and he isn't even. I don't even think he's in. I, I couldn't find anything that says he's in a squad of a t of a Sheffield Shield side, which seems crazy. But 21 wickets, you know, 
he's 21 wickets in his first tournament. It's a proper breakout star. That is, like, if there's, the, you know, if I'm, if I were to name my breakout star of the tournament, I, I'm not saying I'm, I'm naming. Yeah, I am. Yeah, Go do on. it, I'm do it. Saying, Be flagging that. It's fine. Is my breakout star of the tournament, and certainly one to watch for the future. Interesting news coming out of the Thunder camp, though. Just before we move on, is that Callum Ferguson, the captain. Who scored 405 runs has been told his contract will not be extended past. Uh, so well, that's a bit of gossip, isn't it? He is 36. Yeah, he's still have Dan Christ Dan Christian's still going. You know, he's what 55, 60. So yeah, I don't know. Good for him. Oh. That's interesting. That's something to follow. Then, if you're a Thunder fan, what um, to say about Dan Christian? Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait to talk about Dan Christian. We're not. We're not quite there yet. So. Thunder, you know, they finished third, um, won eight, lost six. It was such fine margins between these positions from like third to sixth. So they just fell to, you know, a Brisbane Heat side in good nick, basically. Um, let's talk about the Heat. Then they won their last two games of the regular season, then obviously beat the Strikers in the Eliminator, and then the Thunder in the knockout. They were just they were just in great form when they met the Thunder, and that seven-wicket win was convincing. How did they do this, Zach? For a team that boasts Joe Denley, Joe Burns, Lewis Gregory, who we know I don't like that much, you know, that they, they don't screen good T20 side to me. How did this go so well? Where was it clicking for them? I don't know, because it just, it didn't look like it was ever clicking for them. That's, that's the thing. They kind of came out of nowhere. They, but they were like all the other teams in that if you look at their regular season form, they lose their first three and then midway through they win three in a row and then they were win, loss, win, loss and then hit a good bit of form into those knockouts. So yeah. maybe they just, not lucky, but they just hit form at the right time where let's say the, the Hurricanes didn't. Yeah, and I, like if you look at the teams they played in the... In those finals, the strikers were stuttering. The the Thunder only won two of their last six games in the regular season. So they and you know, like you said, the Heat were the kind of form team. They snuck in, they snuck some good results towards the end. Chris Lynn was you know pretty good as always. You know you can always, I mean, you can probably always bank on him getting four hundred runs in a tournament, yeah. which is which is pretty good going. A test middle order of Marnus Labashain, Joe Denley and Joe Burns seemed like it was never going to work. That's what jarred with me so much was even Labashain. Oh, can we talk about his bowling, by the way? I I love Labashain and I yeah. think he's a, he's a batting all-rounder for me. I want to <laughs> see him. I want to see him bowl more. I think his bowling is useful. It's more than useful. And he took some wickets and he needs, maybe he needs to work on it a bit. And I know he's not going to have time. I think that's the whole thing. Steve Smith always says that the reason he doesn't bowl as much as he used to is because he just doesn't have time. He wants to work yeah. on his batting all the time. And Manus Labuschagne obviously loves working on his batting as well. So isn't he's not going to be the batting all-rounder, all-format player I want him to become. <laughs> you re- you're really pushing for that, though, aren't you? Yeah. His batting, though, was like Kane Williamson-esque, Joe Root-esque, when they play yeah. um, limited overs. Like mm-hmm. You can see him getting a show in Test cricket, but... He can score it easily, you know, 120, 130. But this is the weird thing is, you know, so can Joe Burns. So can Joe Denley. They can yeah, all score 120, 130. So. And it it shows, it, it's kind of the interesting thing because often in T20, you have these players open up for you. Whereas actually, uh, the Heat have Chris Lynn and, and Heasler open up for them who, you know, they both, they both go and they both go hard. And last season, they had Banton and Chris Lynn and they both went hard. And that was kind of the Heat's issue last season is they went hard really early on and they'd be, you know, they'd either, they'd either, be, they'd either get, do really well, but most of the time they'd be 50 for four. And it would, you know, it would fall apart from there. But this season, 
it kind of has worked for them, even though none yeah. of us thought it would, because they can go hard at the start, and if it doesn't go so well, they have that middle order. And if it does go well, those players can't accelerate, really. It, yeah, it's a strange formula, isn't it? I think we saw Sunrisers at Hyderabad in the IPL have that with Williamson come in, and you're like, what? what happens if they're 100 for none after 10? You know, do we want Williamson coming in? And they'd shuffle it around. I don't think the Heat had that luxury because they had so many of them in there. But it just really worked for them. And they were one game away from the final, which is which is crazy. But Scorchers thrashed them in the end. But they were really quite close. And I don't think anyone had them. People might have. I think we had them to be top five. Or did, no, we didn't. I, didn't. I didn't have them even top five. So to get that close was really impressive. No, we had them top five halfway. But at the beginning, I think I put them bottom. Yeah, they, I just didn't like them. That's why didn't I, like them. I was just being spiteful. Yeah, they they were my second team last year because they had Banton and Banton was, you know, doing Banton things for the first <laughs> time around the world. And it was great to see. But this season when they didn't have Banton and, you know, they had Burns and Denley. It's a bit uninspiring, that, isn't it? But yeah, they, also, did, they did all right. It's a formula that could work for other, other franchises around the world if they want to do that. Yeah, it could do. And they also had... Um, one of the, I think he's, I think he's really smug, which is why I don't like him. Mark Steckerdy, who, he, yeah, he, <laughs> I saw him get carted off as the X Factor sub, and he was fuming. Um, yeah, I'm not sure that, was, I'm not sure that was planned, and then it kind of worked out that their opening bowler, who only bowls used to bowl one, then get subbed, didn't get subbed. So you know, good season for the Heat. I think probably beat expectations there, and something to build on. Also, Darren Layman's their coach, so there's just nothing likable about this about this franchise. Okay, right. The big two, Zach. Your big two, because we've got your team, the Sixers, who won it, um, and then the Scorchers, who you called as your sort of um, outsider favourite slightly, and especially their start. You know, we look at the Scorchers' start. They went lost, no result, lost, lost. And I was thinking, Zach, your finger's nowhere near the pulse. Come on, get a grip. We've got a podcast to run here. Uh, but they had a great tournament. Um, uh, the Sixers and the Scorchers faced in the final and in the qualifier. Let's talk about that qualifier first, where... Um, Six is won by nine wickets. Um, James Vince being denied a ton by a deliberate wide. It was deliberate, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, that was a fascinating game. And then a really interesting final petered out a little bit as the Sixers kind of rammed home their advantage, winning by 27 runs in the final. Um, who do you want to start with, Zach? Your team, the Sixers or the Scorchers? I mean, both had stunning tournaments, both with some great players. You, you choose. Go where you want with this. Let's start with the Scorchers. And it's interesting because they're, they hit 160 in that qualifier and it looked like it was a decent score. And then kind of the, the due factor came in and it just was nowhere near enough. Like yeah. they, they, they were, The Sixers won by nine wickets. And it kind of, I know that does tell of a, of a battering, but it kind of it does kind of annoy me that it is the way that it's told as a win because it wasn't just that they won by nine wickets because they could have won by nine wickets with one ball left. They won with nine wickets with four overs to spare. <laughs> And that's even the fact that um, they blocked out one over so um, James Vince <laughs> could try and get his 100. Like, it was a comprehensive victory. And it did then lead to the Scorchers choosing to uh, bat second, which is which is not what they've done throughout the tournament. They Throughout the tournament, they batted first and they defended really well. They'd, they'd hit 160 and defend it really well. And they went away from that because of the due factor in the qualifier. And they were, you know, they were really good throughout the tournament. After that first that that stutter, like we said with the with with the Hobart Hurricanes home advantage, the Perth Scorchers used it so well. They had they were really poor, and they had a run of games in Perth. And you don't want to play you don't want to play a Perth team in Perth like that's 
you know, famously difficult con- conditions, bouncy wickets, and they've got a fantastic bowling lineup. So they were always going to be good at home, and they used that momentum and it drove them forward in the tournament. I think like this bowl, this bowling attack is the best bowling attack in in the BBL. I would say. Yeah, easy, easily, easily. Uh, it was, it's yeah. Australia B standard, isn't it? It's pretty an much. Australia, exactly. Jai Richardson, the, the young 24-year-old with 29 wickets, fantastic. Berendorf and Ty, like there's a, there's a lot of international experience. There's there. so many, there's so many caps in there, and it just looks mm. unfair against the Renegades team, then, doesn't it? <laughs> Who decides <laughs> so unfair? Here, the most experienced player. <laughs> um, yeah, that home advantage thing is a huge one. You kind of mentioned it with Hobart, who had a quick start, and then Perth, who had a you know a late finish. Um, there's a spell they won five in a row. Interestingly, that 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 spell was was um, finished by the Sixers, who beat them by seven wickets in game ten. Um, great little rivalry between the Sixers and the Scorchers as well, isn't it? They 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 play each other a lot. They're sort of at the top of the BBL ladder. Lots of finals. I think that the the qualifier was a bit spicy at the end. The the look on James Vince when that ball was called a wide was amazing. Um, Liam Livingston and Jason Roy were the openers toward the end of the tournament for, for the Scorchers um, Livingston probably outshining Roy as I think you mentioned who had an indifferent season but I thought Livingston looked great yeah yeah Livingston looked really good as he did last year you know 426 runs with 350s really good also some great chat from the crowd he got in the well, final I love that, I love yeah. that. The, the 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 crowd were telling him well he was he was on so he was on the mic and they were asked and the commentators were asking him like oh what are they saying about the pitch in the middle and he was like I've been filling on the boundary and obviously there were twenty five thousand Sixers fans in there which was great to see and they were just obviously he couldn't hear a thing from what was going on in the middle and they were they were the fans were telling him that if he was any good he would be in India and he said it was probably fair enough fair enough <laughs> brilliant stuff really enjoyed That's that nice. yeah my. My the one person I do I want to mention in this this Scorchers lineup who probably got a bit of a he got a bit he's got a bit of a hard deal throughout the tournament because he's been moved around the order and was really good for them last season as well is the young Josh Inglis he's he's 25 and he's been moved around and he got 413 runs which is backing up 405 last year and he was born in Leeds which I did not know and found oh, there out we go. this morning so that's that's interesting but you know it is Australian more or less yeah and he, he could also, if he wanted to though. He could. He could if he wanted to. That's the important thing That's to know. That's the important also, thing. We can hold on to that. How old is Mitch Marsh? How old is Mitch Marsh? That's a great question. And the fact you've asked it me makes me want to go either really young or really old. But I'm going to go... Gosh, he was there for the 2015 Ashes. I remember him batting. I think he was around the squad for that. So let's say he was... Let's say he was 22 then. 28, 29... Like, yeah, he's 29. Damn it. I really- <laughs> that <laughs> one has climax. I've just sat and worked out and ruined your question. It's like when you ask somebody, like, guess how much I paid for this? And they go, like, yeah. a million pounds. You're like, well, you've ruined it for everybody. Um, what am I supposed to do with that, Zach? Am I supposed to be interested by the fact he's 29? Did you think he I was just, older or younger? I thought he was far older than that because his brother <laughs> is his brother is considerably older than him. I, I, can't, I, I, kind of, I don't know if I always thought they were they were twins, but maybe not twins. But like, Sean was, like, maybe... How old Sean? I'm guessing he's. I'm gonna get this right again, just to embarrass you. I'm guessing he's what seven years older than him, mid thirties now. He's eight years older than him. Ah, seven. Thirty-seven. <laughs> Sean is thirty-seven, which you know. I think I knew Sean was thirty-seven, so I always presumed Mitch was thirty-four. You know. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was kind of always the presumption, but the fact he's only twenty-nine means, and because I, I was kind of, I don't know if, I don't know if you do this, but I think of Mitch Marsh as. 
having kind of had his chance with the Australia side. I, and I definitely do. And now you've said that, I think we've got a lot of cricket left in him. A heck of, if we think if all the chat around Joe Root is, oh, he's just turned 30, he's got years left in him. What's, exactly. Mitch, what's Mitch Marsh got? And he had a good tournament, right? He, he was pretty good for them. Yeah, yeah, pretty good. He's just such a good player at this level. Right? He's got yeah, power. To this level. He's just got power that no one else does. And he was unlucky. He, he's been unlucky with injury. He was unlucky. He started... He, Played a couple of games at first in the IPL and then got injured. And he's, I think he's been, his career has been quite stop-start in that way. Like he was in the World Cup score in 2019. Obviously was good in the 2015 World Cup as well when they won it. Was in the 2019 World Cup score, got injured, you know, and has been unlucky. Was in the IPL this year, got injured. Has come back, had a good tournament. And I, you know, I hope to see Mitch Marsh. Well, I don't know if I do actually in uh, Australian colours. I don't no, think I do because no, I think he's I'm good. quite scared of him. I think he's mm. a good middle order batsman. He, he got that five for the oval, I think, once. Um, and he's he's sort of a batsman that can go pretty quickly if he needs to. Yeah. Okay. Let's come on to let's come on to your boys, the the magenta men, the Sydney Sixers. Um, one nine, lost five in the regular season with nine bonus points. Finished on thirty six, four points clear at the top. So pretty convincing. And then, um, well, they only had, it's the benefit of coming top in the BBL. They only had to play two games. Um, yeah, only two games, which, which they beat the Scorchers twice to, to win the whole tournament. Um, for those who haven't watched much of the BBL, Zach, or didn't get to catch a lot of it, why did the Sixers win this tournament? Oh, I mean, I think overall, I, I mean, I'm going to use the word I love using, and it's great that I get to use it on this, in this thing. They're the Go most roll, balanced please. side. Yeah. It's just the most balanced side. You look at their lineup top down vincent Philippi, the top two batsmen they finished second and third on the run scoring chart such a great opening partnership man even when, like i know they were in good form but just like on paper that's 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 really nice it's a really good opening partnership you know vince went under the radar a little bit earlier on in this tournament he was he was batting at three because they needed an extra they, they had another they had another player because then moses enriquez their captain only played five games, which makes this win even more special. Their captain only came back in for the last five games because of international duty. Their signings, uh, on top of that, as well as having both those top two players, the signings were fantastic. So Tom Curran last year was really good for them and you know gave them good lower order runs and obviously good death bowling. And this season, instead of having Tom Curran, they had the evergreen Dan Christian. They didn't know Tom Curran wasn't going to be there. But Dan Christian does it all. It was his 10th domestic T20 tournament win. And I would really like to see England get him in as like a batting consultant or yes. any, just coach for the T20 yeah, World just, Cup. Yeah, just to chat to the lads, really. Just yeah, to have just them to around. tell them about how you win T20 tournaments because yeah. no one knows how to win a T20 tournament like he does. You know, like we said, with the Stars not using their players well, their international players, or the Renegades even worse, I think the Sydney Sixers did it really well. They had Vince throughout the tournament and they had Brathwaite throughout the tournament. And they were both, you know, Brathwaite was decent with the ball, like took some good wickets, bowled a lot of the power surge overs. So like, I don't think his stats look that good, but he bowled a lot of the difficult overs and took some really important wickets. Vince, obviously we talked about, and also they had, they had Jason Holder, which we mentioned halfway through because he, in the halfway pod, because he only played three games. And they mm. won all of those three games. He bowled yep. well, he batted well. Like, that's what you need from a player who's coming in for a few games. They had Jake Ball, who didn't do so well, and he was only, you know, he was meant to be replacing Tom Curran. So if they'd had Tom Curran, wow, God, they, they would have won it by even more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think the, the player the player that's most important for this for this balance of this side, though, for me, is, is Steve O'Keefe, who's been with the Sixers since he, he played in BBL1 for them. 
you know, he, he won the first ever BBL for them. He's a wily, you know, he opened the batting for them then. He, he's not a batsman now. He's a... God, how, how things have changed. He's an off spinner who every single time he's... Or left arm spinner, sorry. He seems to go for naught for 20 off his four overs every single game. And that, that sort of that oh. sort of performance, he, he didn't take that many wickets. But if you know but you've got a bowler who's going to give you four overs in the middle, he's going to, he, he rattles through them so quickly. The overs just disappear when he's bowling. Yeah. And they, they're not going to go for more than eight. It's like that's so good. And it means that the other bowlers can work around that. For example, like Ben Dwarshus was their highest wicket taker. He took 24 wickets and he was expensive. But the fact they had other bowlers who were kind of holding it down meant that Dwarshus could be expensive. And he was like, he was really expensive. He went for an average of 17 in his, in his power, sur- in his power surge overs. But then in the final took two for six in his power surge yeah. over. Like, you know, they had faith in him and he took wickets at, at regular intervals. And it, you know, it's just the balance of the side that won them this tournament. Well, you say it a lot, Zach, but it is an important word, balance. It's an incredibly important word. And you're right. Just, just running. I didn't see much of the six, but just the names you reeled off there. O'Keefe, like a, like a yardie, you know, really quick through his overs, left arm just chucks it in full every time. Bang, he's gone before you even know it. I love bowlers like that when they're on your side and an over goes away like that in T20. Um, yeah, so pretty convincing from the Sixers in the end. They win back-to-back BBLs. Um, they won it last year as well. That's very impressive. And they're... I've always thought with franchise cricket that it, anyone can win it, but it feels like these teams are pretty established now. They've got a good set of coaches, a good set of core players. And then, as you've rightly said there, Zach, they add correctly internationally um can we just finish on james vince on england quickly we spoke about alex hales you're right that james vince is easy to feel sorry for i just can't see him getting in this side he i feel like he's like a mitch marsh he's like this is the perfect level for him but come international cricket he'll he'll nick off yeah i think the thing is is it i don't know why but it feels like James Vince has had lots of chances. It feels like he's had, he obviously hasn't played as much international cricket as Alex Hales. He's played 16 ODIs to Alex Hales' 70, and T20Is, he's played. Alex Hales has played 70 ODIs. I when know. did that happen? I missed that. Yeah, me too. But it feels like Vince has had more chances and not taken them, yeah. which is, you know. I, I think for him to get another chance again, he'd need a really good IPL. He doesn't. Have it, I, the... I don't know what a good BBL actually does for anybody anymore. I, like, if we, where do we rank the BBL in franchise cricket? You know, what does a good BBL do? Obviously, a good IPL is better than a good BBL in people's minds. Is, is that correct in your opinion? Yeah, definitely. Well, I, I would I would argue that the the BBL. I think it's difficult. It's difficult. I would say the BBL is probably the second best, the second best T20 tournament, you know, going. The yes, quality is really good. That. I think, you know, I think it goes, obviously IPL is well above and then BBL and then probably we're talking PSL. Mm-hmm. And, and then the Blast, the Blasts, you know, in and about. The Blast, it kind of varies season by season, but obviously the Blast, you know, the ECB hates it. So <laughs> it's never going to be valued that highly because... That its own board hate it, so yeah, I think the BBL it surely helps. It it's not it's not a bad thing, you know, mm. doing well in the BBL, and I think it well, it must help him come back. Well, you know how we talk about we look at this test side in India right now, the England test side in India, and how good they look, um, and how more familiar they are in the conditions because of all the IPL cricket they've had. I don't feel like we ever see that in BBL though. I don't feel like when 
you know, the BBL's been around for 10 seasons now. Plenty of England players have been there. James Vince was in that test squad that lost last time around and he looked pretty, you know, pretty hopeless. I, I just don't, I don't know why we don't see that translation come from England players at the BBL into the test team doing well. And my, my only answer to that is that Bairstow and Butler and Stokes don't go over there. They, they do IPL stuff. They don't go over to the BBL. Is there a case for... It doesn't really fit in with the England schedule, does it? But is there a case for a few England players going over there and just getting used to Australian conditions? Or is that not really an argument? It's scheduling. You, you said it. You, you hit the nail on the head there. It's scheduling. And it's yeah. scheduling. Scheduling is the reason the BBL will never be as big as the IPL because Australian players who play internationally, they don't play in the BBL because because of scheduling, because they play, you know, they're playing test matches because they can't not have, you know, the Boxing Day test in Australia and they can't fit it in anywhere else. I think, yeah, uh, like, you know, the IPL is so big that we have a pause in international cricket for two months that we don't have at any other point in the year. Yeah, so it so it fits. The BBL can't be, you know, not in Australian summer, and Australia can't not play test matches at home in Australian yeah. summer. Like it doesn't it doesn't work, and I it it's an issue, and it's obviously it is you know it's a similar issue for England. How many of England's best players play more than a couple of bash game? Sorry, not bash blast games a year. Like obviously Joe Root ended up playing quite a few. You love the non-three format players, but when was the last time Stokes played for Durham in a T20 game? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. It's just it's unfortunate because I feel like, you know, if we had five years of sustained England players playing in the BBL, maybe the Test team would benefit from that. I don't know. I I, I did actually see Owen Morgan play for Middlesex against uh, Somerset last uh, two years ago now. Oh no, I remember a... that, and he battered you guys. Oh. I see. I watched the other game where he didn't batter us. I watched, I was at the game at Middlesex, and it was their top four was AB de Villiers, Paul Sterling. Um, who else was it? Paul Sterling, AB de Villiers, and Owen Morgan were in their top four. So unsurprisingly, they hit they hit two hundred both times we played them. What other counties don't ever see their players? Like you know, Stoke. I think Stokes Durham's the the funniest one. I don't think I don't think Durham. I've sent him a kit for three or four years now. He's never worn their jersey. Uh I think Roots, Bearstow probably. I've seen Butler play for Lancashire a handful of times, like in memory. I think just Stokes and Durham. Maybe it's because Durham are irrelevant that I just don't see. They never get a game. I think I think it's partly the fact that Durham are irrelevant because I think all the Yorkshire lads, they they like playing a bit for Yorkshire. Bearstow yeah, plays a bit of Red definitely. Bull stuff. You know, Milan. Milan obviously has only just joined Yorkshire, but played played Red Bull stuff as well. Root Root was gonna play. Before there was there, there was news, so I, I I had a Yorkshire membership last year, and he was going to play seven championship games last season when the championship wow. had to be originally because he didn't obviously he, he wasn't playing in the IPL, and we have a fair few of our games whilst the IPL's going on. So he was going to play seven championship games, and I think he will. He's 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 not going to be in the IPL draft this year, so he'll play the first few championship games again. But yeah. It's, it's Durham. And, yeah, you know, it's just Durham, of... isn't it? I feel like when Collingwood was an England player, you just never saw him play for Durham anyway. <laughs> Um, Durham are just so they're just so far in the north that no one can be bothered especially poor Ben Stokes so that will about wrap it up for this pod um, I hope you've enjoyed that little review of the BBL um, a great tournament again um, you know I'm going to miss that cricket in the morning I've just started getting up earlier again now so just as I start you know getting up at a normal time the cricket stops so that's a shame but oh well uh, and obviously we've got you know tomorrow morning you'll have Pakistan South Africa 
that's going to be very exciting and the rest of the England test as well. Um, we'll be back for a review of that first test between England and India on Wednesday. We look forward to seeing you then. Zach, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for your uh, your deep BBL knowledge. That was very impressive. And uh, I hope you all enjoyed Zach's uh, summaries there. Thank you, Dan. And we will see you on Wednesday for that England India review. See you soon. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.